Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us here on INC Live for the UFC 296 preview show. My name is Carl Birmage and I am joined by the man on the right hand side of my screen. He is the Bob Cratchit to my Ebenezer Scrooge. He's my friend and yours. It's Joe Neal. Joe, thank you very much for joining us. Very glad to be here, as always. And, you know, with it being a festive time, I thought of a perfect tag team. Well, kind of, uh, to... You know, for this little bit we have, I'm glad to be the Festus in this festive time to your Jesse. You could have told me I needed to get a ring bell or something. <laughs> oh, it's so offensive. I'm not doing yeah. that. I, <laughs> it's too offensive. The old WWE man. Underrated comedy tag team, though. And Luke Gallows, great work. Yeah, I love Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, I really want uh, Carl Anderson to get that, like, big singles push like he had in... New Japan, but I, I, I'm going to feel bad because Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows are so perfect together. I will say, though, we start with this sort of like festive theme. Of course, it is December, so we thought we're not too sure whether or not we're going to be able to get an end-of-year show done. So we thought we would make this one sort of our big festive event. Um, we did tell ourselves, hey, let's try and dress up for it and, um, you know, try and make us feel like Christmassy, get the mistletoe in, whatever. Uh, unfortunately, Joe, you didn't seem to get the memo. Yeah, so um, it turns out uh, I, I had a shirt with uh, like reindeers and Santa on them, you know, quite uh, quite garish is a word I've heard you use and I'll use it too. But I was given a, uh, a coconut water. Never had one. I tried it. Turns out it's awful. <laughs> um, it's disgusting. I hated it. And I spilt it when I was pouring it out in the sink. I somehow spilt it on me in the anger of, you know. But, in good news, and I can show off how much weight I've lost. I do have. Very nice. Pants. Very pants. swish. Yeah, I would have. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty flexible. So I would. I could have just thrown the leg over. But, uh, you know. You would have I, attracted I all the Alexa Grosso fans if you did that. I'm, I'm not trying to get lumped in with that. Uh, she, she's leaned into it a bit, and i got to be honest, me and her are going to have a talk at dinner about it. Um. <laughs> and for everyone who is joining us for the first time, please, we, we don't just all talk about random stuff outside of the main card. We are here to talk about mixed martial arts. It is the UFC 296 preview show, the final event of, 26, of 2023. Uh, 2016, that was a long time ago. Final oh, yeah. event of 2023. And on the whole, Joe, what do you think of the UFC during this year, over these past 12 months? Because I think it's been one which has been, on, on the one hand, we've had some big upsets, we've had some big dramatic moments, highlight reel knockouts. But I do feel like a lot of people were, I think they gave them a, the UFC a little bit of a leech when it came to the quality of some of their cards. And I think the threshold was sort of broken a little bit. And people started thinking, hey, the PFL is now a serious contender. We don't want to keep getting these sort of random Apex cards with fighters ranked 10 to 15 on them headlining. Yeah, I feel like if I were to grade, you know, uh, as a, as a uh, dare I say, professional reviewer, um, uh, check out the Retro Review series, please. Uh, but um, as a, I, would rev I would score the UFC as a whole maybe like a 6 out of 10 this year. I mean, we've had some great moments. I, I think... The volkanovsky Makachev rivalry was uh, a welcome surprise, even if I just, like, really don't like how that second fight went um, because of the short notice and everything. But that was a great moment. Um, you know, we had 
a lot of great upsets, like Sean Strickland being a UFC champion. If you told me that last year in December, I would have been, I would have just laughed at you. Um, and, and uh, but it's kind of funny too because he was the last card last year. He was the last fight night, I think, last fight of 2022, and he was the uh, the first main event of 2023, if I remember correctly. It's just kind of funny. Um, but it's, it's, you know, this year, it, all the controversy, the Nganu stuff. USADA. The, USADA stuff. John Jones just getting away with steroiding up. Um, I, I feel like the negatives may, as history looks at this year, I feel like the negatives might sadly look at... Um, you know, history will look at the negatives overshadowing the positives of this year, which I hope not. But because, um, man, there was some stinkers of cards this year. Um, we have the infamous FU Canada <laughs> moment, you know, that got um, me a but, lot of hit on I mean, Twitter. I was funny. Uh, you didn't say it. UFC said it. Speaking of Canada, you though. Know? Um, I do want to ask you about uh, the next ca Canadian event because uh, the last time that we spoke, the UFC hadn't formally announced what was going to headline that card. Not only have they done so for January, they've done it as well for February and for March. So we'll discuss these fights in a lot more detail when it comes to those preview shows. But your general consensus on the first three main events of 2024, Sean Strickland versus DDP, Volkanovski versus Tupuria, and Sean O'Malley versus Chito Vera. Uh, I really like. I'll go. I'll go backwards. Um, so Sean O'Malley, Cheeto Vera. Uh, I would. Uh, I, I I always associate Cheeto Vera with uh, L.A. Knight. Yeah. Right yeah. Blunt force trauma. Yeah. No, uh, no. Nah, nah. I think I think he's gonna look at that title reign of uh, Sean O'Malley and go, no, nah, no. Nah. I, I I could see him. Definitely getting that. That's a that's a fun fight too, because I know there's the Sean O'Malley fans who say it was a fluke. Um, then there's there's the people who watch the fight and know what happened. Uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's why I laughed. I was like, oh, that's I feel mean. But no, in, uh, in all seriousness, uh, that fight's that fight's gonna be pretty good. Um, two hard hitting strikers. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, Taporia Volkanovski super interesting to me because Volkanovski just got KO'd. And he's going up against a guy who has just oodles of power, oodles of promise, with a ceiling we don't know how high is yet, because um, he's just looked fantastic. So, I'm I'm genuinely really excited about that fight, and I don't know. I'm probably going to go back and forth on that because I hate counting out against Volkanovski, but I don't know with that with Ilya Taporia. I don't know. Um, Patty Pimblett is lucky he got away without having to fight him. I'll say. And then, of course, um, Sean Strickland, DDP, opening up the main events uh, for pay-per-view main events for 2024. And um, if I was Sean Strickland, I would uh, I would highly suggest being careful on the jackhammer because he can turn it into a diamond cutter. <laughs> Bang! Uh, <laughs> I was watching OSW Halloween Havoc 98. I love this, that spot. So I do my, love that spot. Ah, that's the best cutter of all time. Uh, I love the Evan Bourne Shooting Star Press one, but... I love that that jackhammer one because I think DDP had the best one. Anyways, I will say I think that fight is very interesting because the two main events in it, it's like very much uh, that blue collar. People counted them out. Uh, 
rising up. You, 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 Carl talked about that, brought that up before we started talking. So I'm just stealing <laughs> your lines here. Uh, I'm stealing your bits here. <laughs> um, Nick conning my way in. Uh, <laughs> more wrestling. Knee <laughs> slapper. Um, but uh, that said, um, I, I think I think it's really interesting that those two are, you know fighting for the title that's that's kind of a crazy thing for me um and uh i, I i'm expecting sean strickland to win i think he's just a better fighter but man i don't know i've i've, I've said ddp is gonna lose a lot of fights and uh he's making me look stupid on the show <laughs> so i'm definitely excited for it i'm definitely curious i'll say and that sure. we can all look forward to in the first three months of the year for now, we're going to be turning our attention to next week's card, which is UFC 296 taking place in Las Vegas at the T-Mobile Arena. Uh, now, the December show, when it comes to the UFC, is traditionally one of their strongest shows. I think when it comes to the books, I think the UFC maybe like to try and take a hit in the first sort of three months of the year and then really come mm. on strong with that final sort of rally, that final quarter. So we have like the Abu Dhabi card, Madison Square Garden, and often in December, they like to try and stack up the show as well. Do you think that mm. this card lives up to some of the previous December shows? At the top of my head, <clears throat> in terms of name value, yes. Um, in matchmaking quality, almost, because there's one fight on this main card that I really don't like, but we're going to talk about later, sadly. Um, but... Uh, man, there's like, you got Cody Garbrandt on the prelims, which is, that's twice now. So, you know, they're, they're being a little careful with him, but it's still crazy to me. Um, and like, you know, Alonzo Minifield's always a ton of fun. He's fighting Dustin Jacoby. Like, oh, this, this card's pretty good top to bottom, I think. Um, so I, I like it. The thing I always think about with December cards is you either have, great fights or great moments, you know, is what I always kind of like associate with December cards. Like I think of December cards, I think of uh, like recently in 2020, you had Kevin Holland KOing Jacare off his back, which is insanity. And then you had later on in the main event, a fantastic, yeah, another a fantastic flyweight fight. So, um, but then I also think of sadly, was it in December? Amanda Nunes and your girl, Juliana. That was, was that December, December the 11th. Yeah, you remember. Um, well, I blew up my knee on yeah, that so day, that's, so that's, I'll it, never it, forget that day. Which is insane. I, I love yeah. it. S- same day as um, Abu Dhabi 2021. So for sport-wise, that day was just manic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of... Like, we probably weren't the only knee blown out that day. <laughs> Um, think you know that's that's kind of crazy to think about. You blew your knee out along with probably a couple other athletes. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I uh, you know that's that's a you know as much as I go wow that happened wine mom boxing for the win I guess um, that's still a crazy yes. moment. Now, then I always I always think of December pride because this okay. Oh. Yeah, well, that's I always think of like New Year's Eve, like oh, Pride. I, I didn't even that wasn't even thinking about that, but yeah, Pride had the lock on December. That New Year's kind of shows that Japan loves to throw, you know, and like uh, like Wrestle Kingdom, New Japan. Oh, J- Japan loves their you know calendars flipping over. But 
uh, I always think, because this is what I think of December cards, I think of uh, Alistair Overing head being launched back to Holland by Francis Ngannou, because that KO, I just can't escape. Like, on YouTube, I see it, I'm like, well, I'm clicking on it. Uh, I love that punch. Um, I, I weirdly associate that. Even though it's more recent, I've been watching for years, I always kind of associate that with December cards. So, for me, December, like, I, I never think of the names. I just think of, like, you know, afterwards, like, the moments that happen in December. Just kind of weird how it falls into place like that, but... I'm, I'm here for and it. And stay tuned to the main channel. There may be more Overing-related content coming out later this year. You almost read my mind, Joe. Mm-hmm. We're going to review his horse meat diet. <laughs> me, me, me and Carl recently started it, and i got to tell you, these results are looking fantastic. <laughs> uh, so we'll focus on the prelims in a little bit more detail. You can see those on your screen right now. And the first fight we're going to be talking about is one that came together on quite short notice. So... Josh Emmett, our number six seed in the featherweight division, he was set to face Giga Chikatsi, which I think could have been a fantastic battle. That sort of, that brute strength of Josh Emmett going up against the technical striking of Chikatsi. Unfortunately, Giga had to pull out, but taking his place, in my opinion, a very good substitution. Bryce Mitchell stepping in on short notice, so a different dynamic for Josh Emmett, a big opportunity for Bryce Mitchell to maybe get into the top six. I think that's a scarier guy on a full camp, admittingly. Like, I'm probably, I'm probably a little crazy here in this opinion, because uh, I, I feel like I'm kind of tarnished on Giga after that uh, Calvin Cater fight, which I think a lot of people probably are, but um, which isn't necessarily fair. You know, he took a year off to kind of heal up and uh, kind of recover mentally and physically from that fight. But man, Bryce Mitchell, like. Yeah, he's weird, you know, and he openly talked about retiring when Taporia beat him. But Taporia's fighting for a title, like, you know, who, who Taporia's the man, it turns out. So there's not too much shame in losing to him, I feel like. Um, I think Bryce Mitchell's scary. Um, one, because he's going to walk out with that Bible. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> that was so funny. I, as, a, as a Christian man, I, I, I was cackling, laughing. So funny to me. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think it's kind of an interesting... I think it's a really rough on Josh Hammett because he was preparing for a southpaw striker with kicks, learning how to deal with that. And now he's got a guy that, oh, if they go to the ground and Bryce Mitchell ends up on top, it's probably in a bad spot if Bryce Mitchell wins a scramble and it's up on top now. So... It's a lot that leads to a very interesting fight. I just really hope the short notice doesn't hurt the quality of this matchup. I'm in the same boat as well, and I I see this being a bad matchup for Josh Emmett as well. I think that mm -hmm. if this was Josh Emmett from, say, three or four years ago, I'd lean towards him because mm. he does have that grappling base, and we know that he can crack a punch. But he's 39 now. I think some of that athleticism has maybe gone. He took a big beating up against Tupuria, so... I am leaning more towards Bryce Mitchell for that one. I have to be. I have to say. Yeah, uh, and weight cuts are harder for him nowadays. Yeah, you saw what he looked like. Was it for Gaier? Where he looked like I and I and I mean this with all the respect in the world. He looked like a goblin in fight <laughs> week. Like uh, my my best friend was calling him. His, uh, my best friend likes Josh Emmett. He goes, "Oh, my little goblin's fighting." Like I just can't unsee it. Yeah, like it, weight cuts get hard when you get older. 
and he was a wrestler, so he's been doing it for a long time. That's not great for your body. And uh, I, I really hope he's okay physically with the weight cut, admittingly. Um, other fights that we'll talk about on the prelims here, you were touched on it earlier on. Cody Garbrandt back in action, and arguably, is this last chance saloon for Cody? Yes, he got that win over Trevin Jones, but I don't think that Trevin Jones is maybe UFC caliber. And yeah. Cody, even though he won like a comfortable decision, it, he, what, he didn't blow Trevin Jones out the water. Like he probably should have, yes. admittingly. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm kind of torn on this one because... Uh, I, I like Brian Kelleher a lot. He's really fun. Um, and I, I, I'm not a Cody Garbrandt fan, admittingly. He just, like, he's the most unintentionally hilarious fighter that's ever fought in UFC history. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I could see it, if he loses and gets finished and just, or even if he loses a decision and he doesn't look great, like, he looks eh, a little, little behind... It's probably over, you know. I'm, I can definitely get behind that I, idea. Um, one thing for me is Kelleher has KO power, but he's much more of a like a grappling threat. Yeah. I wonder if that's in his favor because Cody Garbrandt's obviously been working, getting his footwork going again. He doesn't have the head movement like he used to have, which Lord do I miss. But um, uh, I could see him frustrating Kelleher on the feet. Admittingly, and I'm, I'm I am picking him to win, um, but I, th- I just thought of something. Uh, I, one thing interesting to me is Cody Garbrandt. Uh, you know, he's a Patty Pimblett fan. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. Yeah, he's a Patty Pimblett fan, and he talked about how he liked Patty Pimblett um, because you know he said Patty. He thought Patty Pimblett said that um, Patty Pimblett was a sorcerer. Sorcerers can't be knocked out. That's a real thing, Cody Garbrandt said. And I have on good faith that Cody Garbrandt has been Googling avidly into how to become a sorcerer. So, you know, (laughs) I I, I love that so much, that clip of him going, uh, you know, he says he's a sorcerer, he can't get knocked out. Once again, I nominate Cody Garbrandt as the funniest fighter in MMA history. Unintentionally, he just wins. You know, he once ratted out that all of uh, uh, of Team Alpha Male <laughs> does steroids. Like, yeah, like he he's he's the funniest of all time. Um, I <laughs> I love it. Anything else that stands out for you on the prelims? Uh, Irene Aldana um, trying to bounce back after a very disappointing performance. Uh, there's Casey O'Neill, who uh, you know, marketable. Yeah, she needs a. It, she needs. I this. think she's in an interesting position here because, yes, we saw with the Jennifer Meyer fight that was maybe a jump too high for Casey O'Neill. But I think Ariane yeah. Lipsky's maybe a jump too far back. So I think there's more I of a middle so ground that she needs. Like Casey should be fighting someone like a like a Lauren Murphy, for example. I think so too. Yeah, I I think she needs this. Uh, I think if she gets upset again. Yeah. So the hype's gone, but um, the Maya fight was definitely too much of a jump for her. The the fight I'm picking, uh, I, there's two others on here I can touch I've on I've got a feeling I know which one you're going to be choosing. Yeah, well, first, the unexciting one is Randy Brown, Muslim Solikov. 
Um, and I'm saying uninteresting because Salikov is uh, incredibly boring, but pretty good. Randy Brown is pretty entertaining sometimes, um, and he's super underrated. So I always like a good Randy Brown fight. But the one that sounds like just like uh, if I, I have a fight of the night prediction, uh, but it, this is my runner up for it. This is uh, is Alonzo Minifield and Dustin Jacoby. <laughs> sounds like sounds like a monster of a fight. Like I am going to wake up early that day and be sure to watch this fight live. Um, I'm not missing this one because. Those guys have power. Uh, Minifield can take it to the ground, which I, I kind of expect him to try and do. But if Jacoby keeps, keeps his fight on the feet, he's a good striker. And he's got power and a very varied arsenal. Oh, it could be a slugfest of a kickboxing match that I am just... I need it in my life. I love a good violent prelim fight. And this is... Probably, yeah. Yeah, Menafield's been on my sort of... He's not in my boy's stable, but he's always been on that radar ever since the first Jimmy Crude fight. Yeah. I, I, I think you... Uh, he's he's, prob- he's looking for a window currently into your boy in breakfast. <laughs> <'Cause>, uh... <laughs> well, I do have... I, I think I am looking for a light heavyweight because Paul Craig's now a middleweight, so he's taking up that Ooh. role. So, technically, Menafield oh. might just squeeze himself in there. Is this is this a battle of our boys then? Because J- Jacoby's one of mine. Yeah, I think you can this count it that. Yeah. Yeah, this is a battle of the boys, dude. Oh my! Oh me me meow! You know, <laughs> like this is that's actually kind of fun. Uh, well, actually, no. Nikita Krylov is my boy at uh, two hundred five because he's never winning a title, but I have fun with him. So, with the prelims out the way, let us turn our attention to the main card and to a welterweight bout. It is Vicente Luque who is taking on Ian Gavi, number 9 versus number 10. The betting odds for this one, you can get Gavi in at minus 360. Luque comes in at plus 285. And I have to say, Joe, on a fight card that has Colby Covington and Paddy Pimblett, you can make an argument that the big enemy of the enemy fan base coming into 296... Is he in Gavi? Absolutely, he is. If uh, one, he's he's very much a McGregor clone in the idea that like he, you know, he's an Irish fighter, of course, and he's inspired by McGregor. A ten thousand in, times infinity, understandable, right? But uh, he just like copies his mannerisms to the point where it's kind of cringy. Copies like his movements, his taunts, and like. Uh, his victory poses even after a finish it's it's quite it's quite uh, annoying and just ugh, when you see it um that and he is a massive trash talker he kind of hits a little below the belt uh, i won't comment on the neil magny one because uh, i'm not um i'm not a professional in that kind of thing I, as an, i'm not a father so i don't really know um and uh but I will say, uh, I, I don't like the printing of the shirts with the mugshot of of uh, Jeff Neal. I think that's um, pretty pretty messed up, admittingly. I feel like you're hitting a little bit below the belt there. Um, and uh, I don't even know necessarily what the charge is for that said, admittingly. So maybe not. Um, because, uh, weirdly enough, maybe I'm just a hypocrite. I'd be, I think it'd be kind of funny if, like, Tom Aspinall did that to John Jones. <laughs> 
Um, any regardless, uh, yeah, he he just comes across unlikable. He kind of got a little bit made fun of by Sean Strickland. Won't be commenting on the contents of of that um, to keep it PG. I don't want to have to explain that whole mess. But um, but uh, he threatened to sue him, which is like I don't know. It it when you're a fighter and uh, naturally your instinct is, oh, he's going to threaten him, you know, like, and talk trash back, try to, you know, macho man it through, even though that's probably not the most productive way in, like, how society works. But threatening to sue him was very, like, it really hurt his reputation. When you said macho man um, through it, I was just picturing him with his wife, stay away from Elizabeth. Elizabeth. I, keep, mm, I, almost, I almost said something horrible. I'm trying so hard. I'm, I, I want to I stress, I'm trying so hard not to make fun of Ian Gary's uh, marital situation because that feels a little low for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Two single losers complaining about somebody who's married. Yeah. Married to an attractive woman in her 40s that has a book on trying to get a young athlete. Um, Honestly, hey, you know what? If I was a young athlete, I wouldn't mind an older woman. So props on him. And then you will, and then on top of that, you've also got the stuff with um, apparently with the training camps because uh, this is two guys who both work together at Killcliff. One of them had to go elsewhere, mm-hmm. and um, Gary cho- and Killcliff, I should say, chose to uh, work with Luke here for this one. Gary had to go elsewhere, and then Renegade, who is Leon Edwards' gym, also said we don't want any part of him. So there's a lot of stories going around about what kind of sparring partner Ian Gary is. It's it's a lot of stuff on a young man's shoulders. I mean, this is a guy who was still 26 years old, and he feels like the sport's biggest villain right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think I think even after all the stuff I've said, uh, I can understand him having fans and people defending him. I, I totally get it. But I think it's really hard to defend a guy who is... Uh, got to stop fidgeting with things. Blame the... I blame all the extra inner caffeine from a ruined sleep, a ruined my sleep schedule uh, during my vacation. It's like Ricky Bobby. I don't know what to do with my hands. Yeah, like, just like no, you can put them down. As long as long as long as no knife goes in my leg, I'm content. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, I, I think though, like once you kind of, even though it's a, we always talk, we talk about this for once in a while. Um, it's a, you know, it's a one-on-one sport, but there's a team. You know, and I think once you kind of betray your team, um, not I think it's in fighting in the gym is okay to an extent as long as you guys both agree to it and are okay with it before the bout agreement and before all the talk on Twitter and stuff like that. I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, if two consenting adults agree to fist fight each other, um, but uh, for me, like when you're getting kicked out of gyms, you know, and all this stuff. It just really rubs people the wrong way, understandably so. And it just makes you so unlikable. I gotta be honest. And uh, my word, is this guy unlikable? It's almost like a, it's it feels like a constant effort to become the most unlikable guy in the UFC. And Colby Covington used to spoil Star Wars on Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> which is funny. I. I not a Star Wars fan. I, I I've watched a lot of the movies. You know, I grew up watching it. Um, not so much anymore. But man, that is hilariously heel heat. I love it from Colby Covington on that move. And the thing it's made people do with Ian Gary as well is this seems to be the only thing that people are talking about when it comes to this man. Yet mm-hmm. we've got a guy who's thirteen and all, 
six and all so far in the UFC. There's been like a slow, gradual progression in the amount of the quality of the opponents he's been facing. And he comes into the fight off two of his best wins of his career so far. Daniel Rodriguez, who he just blew away in that fight. I'm not a big Ian Gary yeah. fan, but I was really impressed by how easily he got rid of D-Rod. And then dominates oh, Neil yeah. Magny. And I know there was a lot of yeah. unpleasantness uh, before and after the fight. To me, the Neil Magny fight sums up Ian Gary to a T. Because we have this very talented performer who undoes everything by being a prick. <laughs> it's incredibly well said, honestly. Um, uh, you, I, I, we mentioned Hill Heat being the villain. You know, we always talk about the, the parallels between uh, mixed martial arts and professional wrestling. He's developing X Pac Heat. Yeah. Like it, Roman Reigns level twenty or circa twenty sixteen levels heat, and it's just. Oh man, like people are genuinely excited to see him at that press conference and hope Sean Strickland shows up. Like, like that's that's hilarious to me. So you could you can um, play a heel in this sport, but you've got to have a lot of charisma to pull it off. Like Chael yeah. could pull it off. Connor, best heel pre, pre Mayweather cool. McGregor could pull it off. Ian Gary just doesn't have that. And neither does Colby. No. We'll talk about him later on in the show. Patty, nope, don't no. have it. But I mean, honestly, a plus for effort. Uh, that's that's one thing too, though, with Ian Gary is I legitimately don't know if he's playing a character. He's just a douche in real life. Like, is he? I don't know. I, he kind of blurs that line a little bit for me. And it's and I, I think that's part one of the reasons where it's like, eh, should I even point and laugh at this kid? I don't know. <laughs> but um, this fight should be pretty good, though. It should do. And the man charged with uh, trying to um, stop the Ian Gary hype train is Vicente Luque. 22-9 and nine record. He bounced back to winning ways with a victory over Rafael Dos Anjos earlier on in the year, uh, which was one of those sort of apex events. We sort of touched on this earlier on in the show. Do you remember anything about that fight or that card? No, I had to rewatch it and rewatch my recap. It was weird. It was legit. I had, uh, like, Khalil Roundtree fought on it. Um, Pollyanna Viana lost. Uh, and, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, 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 I had to, like, rewatch it. Because I, I legitimately was like, oh, last fight was the Jeff Neal one, right? And I was like, oh, I, I covered this card. <laughs> You know, it's UFC in 2023 sometimes, I guess. <laughs> but, um, superstar finisher, this guy. Yes, certainly so. And also has quite an impressive portfolio of um, scalps. Uh, Rafael Dos Anjos, Michael Chiesa, Tyron Woodley. Admittedly, a Tyron Woodley who was past his prime. And also you've got names like Randy Brown, two wins over Nico Price, the king of bare knuckle, Mike Perry. Jalen Turner, which was Jalen Turner's UFC debut, fighting at Turner's, in my opinion, Turner's ideal weight class of welterweight. How he gets down to lightweight, I do not know. Um, I don't understand. Either. Brian Barberena in one of the most underrated fights of all time. If you haven't seen it, please check out Luke vs. Barberena. And also beat Bilal Muhammad at the Madison Square Garden card. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, they only fought once. Because I forgot the... Second fight. Not great. Yeah, it was, oh, it was a rough one. But for everything that Luke has done and all of the big wins he's had in his career, 
the big cloud that hangs over him going into this one is what happened against Jeff Neal. Now, this was a guy yeah. who, in Luke here, who was always known for his durability. It was a big factor in how he was able to put together so many big wins. The Jeff Neal fights happened, and I want to stress, Jeff Neal can pack a punch. I think he is criminally underrated. But Luke suffers a knockout. He speaks about how... I think he suffered like a brain bleed or something like that. Brain bleed? It was a brain bleed, yep. wasn't it? Yeah. And there was a lot of people legitimately thinking he's putting his long-term health at risk by coming back to fight RDA. And I don't think that that worry has left people's heads even after the RDA win. No, it legitimately hasn't for me. Um... I think I think if if Ian Gary's going to fight, like you know, the UFC does this. Let's you know we, we we talk about this for their little pet projects. They like to give them certain matchups with certain people at certain times. This is a great time for Ian Gary to fight Luke. Yes. Yeah, it's kind of scary. It is. So you've studied Ian Gary's um, career so far in the UFC. You've sort of got mm. a read on some of his attributes. What do you think are sort of his biggest strengths and weaknesses? Man, he is a he can crack, um, and he's a great striker. Honestly, like uh, despite the Machado name, I'm not overly impressed with his grappling. Um, but uh, with the uh, a weapon that I'm probably going to bring up in my analysis, like in my prediction for this, is the low kick. Like he showed off against Neil Magny, was fantastic. He had the the head kick win over D Rod. So he and he had his he won his uh, UFC debut with a first round punch. Um, like KO with from a, from a knockout from a punch. So he definitely has power in his legs, in his hands. He can definitely, you know, he knows how to put the shot on the chin pretty well. Um, his anti-wrestling against the fence is not bad. Um, he definitely can stuff a good amount of takedowns. Uh, but for me, I think one one thing I will bring up is he kind of tall guys defense. Yes. A little bit, yeah. He kind of does the lean back with the chin a little bit up, and that's a that's a fear. He he's in his. I think it was Jordan Williams, if I remember correctly. Jordan Williams in caught him, day. and then I think Song Kanan, uh, he proper belted yeah. him. Yeah, and and he's young. He's gonna have a good chin. He's unbeaten. He hasn't gone through these wars, so we you know he's he's gonna be pretty durable. And he took those shots well. He moved in, so you know we know he has the cardio because he was able to take those shots well. Um, but Lord, did those shots like really stun him? And uh, he, so he can be caught uh, at times because the tall guy defense. It, it, <laughs> to quote another uh, Will Ferrell movie, it's like Sex Panther. It works sixty six percent of the time, all the time. And. Uh, <laughs> um, and Luke is a vet who knows how to fight against guys with tall guy defense, like Jalen yes. Turner. Tall guy defensed him. Randy um, Brown to an extent. Randy Brown can tall guy def- Randy Brown tall guy defensed uh, JDM. That's how he got mm-hmm. caught. And uh, so he he can he understands the idea of hitting a guy with tall guy defense. And they used to be, you know, not I don't know I don't want to say sparring partners because you could be in a gym with the, with a guy. And never spar with him. It could be just that weird kind of thing. Maybe you don't want to spar with a guy because of, you know, Ian Gary has a rep potentially for being a douche in sparring. Um, so maybe, you know, he really didn't all that much. 
but uh, for argument's sake, let's say they did. He probably knows how to put it on them, yes. and they probably and vice versa. So it's definitely interesting when two former teammates fight. Um, this this it's an interesting fight. I wish the whole brain bleed thing yeah. wasn't still lingering over this fight. Um, I think I'm really curious how Luke is going to handle the low kicks of Ian Gary. Uh, I think I think Gary's kicks are going to be an advantage here because Luke is much more of a boxer. He's going to step in with, like he kind of has a squared stance to to defend against the kicks, but he's going to box primarily with uh, an occasional knee or elbow, and he's got a great knee. Uh, Mike Perry's face after getting his nose flattened is unbelievable. Mm. Um, that was the we... I'm right in saying that was the was that the Uruguay card. I think so. Yeah, and because uh, he flattened his nose, there's a picture of mm-hmm. uh, of Mike Perry just. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of my favorite pictures in MMA history. Um, uh, it, this is an inter- it's, it's an interesting fight. Like if we take the brain bleed out of it, you know, it's a really interesting fight because for Ian Gary. We were we're first that first fight really kind of tapered a lot of our expectations of him, but he has shown pretty good promise in these last two fights. So this is a decent little litmus test for him. I think. One of the things I'm interested to see when it comes to Ian Gary is I think a big reason for Ian Gary's success is how is his footwork and how he sort mm. of adjusts positionally. You mentioned how he likes to sort of like steer on the outside, sort of lean up against the fence just to make sure that there's no takedown threat coming his way. I think when you have that kind of fighting style, one of the best ways to sort of neutralize that is to sort of crowd him. Sort of in the same way we sort of seen with Wonderboy recently. We saw with Bilal and Gilbert Burns. It just crowded Wonderboy and just didn't let him have the space to sort of get his kicks and his striking going. Mm-hmm. Vicente Luque has a striking style perfect for crowding someone like an Ian Gary. Yeah, and he's a fantastic ring cut. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that actually gave me a dream fight. Um, imagine pre- prime in his prime, Matt Brown versus Ian Gary. Ooh. Like, because pr- in his prime, Matt Brown is probably the best ring cutter in MMA I've ever seen. Uh, at least in like the normal. I, I feel bad saying this. The normal human being size weight classes. <laughs> That's so rude. I, I, if I was in shape, I would be a bantamweight. So I mean, I, I make fun of myself here. Um, but, uh, Luke's a pretty good, cause he'll use the left hook or like a body kick or high kick with his right from the, for the right side to kind of cut the cage off, which is fantastic. Cause you can't move through, uh, like a person's limb, <laughs> you know? So I'm, I'm pretty interested. That's actually a pretty good point. Cause he is a fantastic ring cutter and Ian Gary loves to kind of, you know, straddle the sides of the, you know, circle around a lot. Um, another interesting start when it comes to Luke here, and it'll probably be our final point before we make our predictions. Uh, as things stand, Vicente Luque has a record of 0.64% takedowns during a fight. Bearing in mind that many people think Ian Gary is going to have the striking advantage, and Luque has submission wins on his record, is that something he should maybe try to correct? I, I wouldn't be surprised. If he got the fight to the ground, I think he cinches in a Darson wins, admittingly. 
because he has a very, very good ground game. And a very good dart. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His fight with Kiesa um, is like... It's only like a minute and a half long, but for a minute, it is one of the most exciting fights I've ever seen. And a lot of people were really high on Michael Chiesa going into that one. He was having a bit of like a mini revival. Yeah, yeah. at welterweight, he looked fantastic, I thought. And uh, I think the Luke loss and then the Sean Brady one kind of just kind of rattled him a bit. The Luke one especially. So put your money where your mouth is with this one. Who is going to pick up the win? I'm willing to be wrong here, and this is 100%. No, no, maybe not 100%. 40% my bias, but I'm picking Luke to win, um, I think, by Darce. I think he, I think I could see him cutting the cage off, hurting him, and then uh, not KOing him because we know, we know he has a good chin in Gary. He can take a shot, but we've seen him caught before, and with a guy like Luke, he just needs to smell blood in the water for him to have that, excuse me, that finishing instinct. To uh, get the finish there, and I, I think it'll—I could see a Darsh choke win. If not, Ian Gary's gonna kick him up until getting a, you know, a decision or a finish, Neil Magny style. The Luke of 2018-2019, I think would take this one. Oh, the yeah. 2023 version of Vicente Luke. I hate to say this because I do like the guy. I think Gary's gonna finish him. Yeah, I—I'm I, I, openly saying like I think that's my bias. I think this fight's a little closer. Sadly, I think the brain bleed's going to be an effect. I'm really worried for his health. Um, he says he's fine. Docs are saying he's fine. He's getting cleared for fights. You know, but it's the long term I'm afraid of. Speaking of fighters we fear for the long term, I hate to bring this one up. I, I think everybody who's watching this show, everybody who's going to be watching 296, deep down I think they're dreading this one. It's Tony Ferguson yeah. taking on Paddy Pimblett in a lightweight encounter. And Pimblet a minus 340 favourite. You can get Ferguson in at plus 270. Now, we have to be honest with this one, Joe. Are the UFC putting Tony Ferguson out to pasture? Yep, absolutely. And uh, I think I think this is a revenge for the Dana White privilege line. Do you think he holds that back, or do you think that's a joke? A little bit yeah. of both. Yeah, I, I, Dana White uh, admittingly... I think he laughed in the moment, and I think, you know, imagine, like, his friend going, like, he got you good with that Dana White privilege line. Yeah, he did. Where's is, is, is that picture of him, like, in that Mexican restaurant, just... <laughs> you know? Uh, that I, I, every time I see that picture, I always think of the first time I saw it, and it was uh, when it's January 1st, and Tyron Woodley hasn't defended his belt all year. <laughs> I've always wondered, like, he's wearing, like, a, a Huff t-shirt, H-U-F, yeah, and I've always wondered what yeah. that is. I don't know. Uh, my brain always thinks Huff uh, Huffington Post, but I know that's not it. <laughs> oh, man. Just, I love that picture. With that being said, I think we're both in agreement that the concept of Tony Ferguson fighting is not something that pleases us. Like, this guy took severe damage up against Justin Gagey, and every fight that we've seen since then has just made us realise just how, like, the the Nate Diaz one was the one that really highlighted just how washed Tony Ferguson is. Yeah. But if Tony Ferguson is going to keep fighting, now this is one of my hot takes, Tony Ferguson shouldn't be fighting, I want to stress that. But mm. if Tony Ferguson is going to continue fighting, 
I would much rather he do it in the UFC with all of their health and safety practices rather than what I fear could happen, which is Tony leave the promotion and end up like Bigfoot fighting in these random sort of Lithuanian shows getting beaten by some like 5 and 20 journeymen. Yeah, it, it's... I, I'm, I'm in the similar boat for me. I, I fear Bellator snagging him or... PFLator. Like PFL, yeah, PFLator, that's a great name. Because um, I feel like pre-Bellator buyout, who knows Who knows when PFL gets them with their matchmaking fix, gets fixed, but I could see them going like, okay, we got Tony Ferguson fighting. You're going to fight... Uh, uh, you're going to fight one of the Pitbull brothers. Uh, don't do that. What? Like, are you just doing this so you can say you had a former UFC champion beaten by your Bellator guy? Like, uh, um... Uh, I, I I don't understand why Tony's fighting Pimblet of all people. Like, if he is fighting, he should be fighting a guy, you know. I think that, I yeah, don't know. what they should be doing Jim with Miller? Tony is, yeah, you just said the same guy there. They should be treating yeah. him the same way they treat their other sort of, like, grizzled vets. People like the Jim Millers, the Clay Weeders, the Matt Browns of the world. Mm-hmm. Jim Miller should have been in this fight, gotta be honest. Yeah, and I'd fancy Jim Miller to yeah. beat Tony, to be honest. I, I think I think it should be Jim. Yeah, I, I would too. I think Jim Miller should be fighting Paddy. Honestly. That would be hell of a, and that would be a really good litmus test for how good Paddy is. Just going to yeah. focus on Paddy a little bit here because we need to sort of like dissect the match. This is going to be yeah. Paddy Pimblett's first fight since the Jared Gordon fight, which ironically enough was the core main event of the last December show, UFC 282. So it's been a year's absence for Paddy. Has absence sort of made? I wouldn't say made the heart grow fonder, but the guy had a lot of venom and a lot of vitriol after that fight. And I think that sort of died off a little bit. I wouldn't say he's a fan favourite again. But if people say, I dislike Paddy Pimblett, I think I'm going to struggle to sort of like remind people as to why. Mm-hmm. I think for me, when people say they dislike Paddy Pimblett, uh, it's probably like the attitude you know, of it all. Like, he's a very cocky guy. And you need to have that confidence, I think, as a fighter. Um, you know, I personally think you need to have that kind of confidence as a fighter. Um, especially if you're you know, looking to be champion, you know. But I think we all understand the ceiling he has. Yes. And he's acting like he has a Tom Aspinall ceiling. When he, you know, not really. Um do you know who Paddy reminds me of to an extent in terms of sort of like the the way the UFC treat him, the sort of like the marketing around him? In some ways, he's kind of like he's a bit like Kimbo, in that oh. in that most fans could recognise that Kimbo had a very low ceiling, but Elite XC yeah. were very smart in trying to give him certain opponents to sort of, just sort of keep that hype train going a little bit. Like not, mm-hmm. like, not so much say, like, Kimbo Slice is a mega star and he's going to be, like, UFC champion or anything like that. But to just ring that last little bit of hype around him as much as they possibly could. Paddy, in my opinion, is in that same sort of bracket. I think the UFC, no, he's not the greatest. But yeah. they'll just sort of, like, try and just keep it going as long as he possibly can. There's a reason. There has, in my brain, there there's a reason they're not giving him... Jim Miller. There's a reason they're not giving him Drew Dober 
or Matt Frivola when they could have, or Terrence McKinney when they could have. Well, um, round one, McKinney was blow Paddy away. Oh, it's over. Yeah. Like, I don't think it gets to round two. If 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 Paddy makes it to round two, he yes. wins. But um, it's not going to round two. Like, I don't think. Um, you know, I don't care how much of a sorcerer put <laughs> is. I, he is not making it to round two uh, intact. There's a reason they gave him Jared Gordon. Jared Gordon recently um, TKO'd Marco Madsen, but it was much more of an attrition yes. style KO, like finish. It wasn't uh, like a crack, you know, of a shot. Um, they gave him Jared Gordon. If Jared Gordon had any ounce of power, he would have flattened Patty Pimblett in their fight because when he hits him, He's hitting him clean on the chin with picture-perfect counters that Patty literally, at one point, I think he got hit with a left hook where his eyes were closed in the striking. Gordon would have planted. If Gordon had power like Jim Miller, it's over. Like, yeah. He is stiffened. He is uh, Nate quarried up. Nate quarried up. You know, Rich Franklin style. One of the most brutal um, knockouts of all time, if you've never seen it. Hard to watch. Um, but the sick part of me uh, wishes Rich Franklin fist bumping. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I I would say that with Terry Edom, but Terry Edom had a uh, legitimately horrible tragedy afterwards. Uh, and that joke is normally for Terry Edom after the Barboza one, but the Neymar Court one, and or not Neymar Court, Nate Quarry one with Rich Franklin. I, I think that one's pretty good because his hands are just ready to go. You can just kind of give him a good old fist It's probably one of the people in uh, that class action lawsuit. I think I think it's yes, him, yes. Kung Lee, and Fitch. Yeah, uh, I've seen that KO recently pop up on YouTube, so I feel like he has to be. Yeah, um, I'm not joking. I think that's a legitimate thing. Like, but, like imagine uh, if John Fitch of all people fundamentally changes UFC contracts forever. Like one of the most notoriously boring fighters of all time is one of the most important. That's so funny, John. There's a, a picture on my phone I have of John Fitch saying. Uh, I just got done watching all the Lord of the Rings movies, and they were super boring. <laughs> and some guy commented saying, it's kind of like watching a nine-hour John Fitch fight, right? And I'm like, dude, you you, you killed him. Like, like I had the, the Simpsons, stop, he's already dead. <laughs> like my head, I was, you, you murdered him with a reply. But Patty definitely rubs people the wrong way. And uh, I wonder if it would change if he got a haircut. <laughs> Is one of my notes I have, um, but he um, definitely showed you how sad I was writing these. But notes. he wouldn't. He wouldn't Make look at the one heart. Oh, we've got to keep that. Oh, See, no. Paddy would. Paddy would, in my opinion, win a lot of favor with me if he like. Let's just say he wins like the really controversial split decision again, and he jumps up and goes, "Yes, yeah. I did it all by myself." Well, here's my pitch. Bruce Pimblett. <laughs> I like where this is going. <laughs> Brown shirt and leather trousers. Yeah. Bruce Pimblett thinks it should be about him. Uh, I. <laughs> Whereas Stu Pimblett is just like. Stretch him. Yeah, stretch him. And Martha Pimblett is just uh, taking a loan out on her teeth as Bob. <laughs> Bobby Heaton was perfect. <laughs> Rest in peace. 
Um, so let yeah, I, we'll, we'll try and focus on um, the fight itself here. So we've talked about some of the negatives regarding Paddy in terms of his personality and the big one, which is his striking defense. I, I actually think Paddy, the quality of Paddy's hands isn't bad. At least it's a lot yeah, better so- than it was, say, back in Cage Warriors. It's definitely an area which oh. he's improved on. It's the striking defense. Yeah. He tall guys yes. it too. He tall guys it, but he's also like, he loves being aggressive, which I totally understand. And I find it um, not endearing. That's, that's, that feels condescending. Um, uh, admirable. I find it very cool, like when a fighter is very aggressive. Uh, but he's throwing hooks like, mm. you know, like, he, you know, uh, in, the, uh, in his debut, he got clobbered. Um, by throwing a hook from here with his chin super high up in the air. Um, and he kind of does, like, uh, sometimes he throws hooks like that, I will say. But for the most part, he's a little tighter. He's gotten tighter in his in his hands as time moves on. Um, he just gets hit all the time. Yes. Uh, by Jared Gordon threw the Bugs Bunny slow ball punch at him and clobbered him. Um, so... You know, you see that, and you go, "Yeah, maybe, maybe it's a good thing for your health. You didn't fight Drew Dober." Um, the I. That said, he's actually a pretty good grappler. I think to beat Jordan Levitt in a grappling match, you've got to have something about you. Yeah, he beat the Monkey King in a grappling match, which is fantastic. That's a super good feather in his cap. Is Jordan Levitt a great MMA fighter? No, but he is a great grappler, and. You know? Yeah. So if you are a Tony Ferguson fan who is clinging on to any kind of last hope of him sort of rolling back the years against the odds and getting that sort of big win before riding off into the sunset, that sort of big fairy tale ending that I think a lot of um, El Kukui fans want, how's he going to do it? Probably cracking him, admittingly, because he still has oomph a little bit. Um, in the Chandler fight, he dropped Chandler pretty hard with a left straight. If I remember correctly, it was a left straight? I think it was a left straight, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he he can crack him. Like, he can still hit. Because Tony Ferguson didn't have, like, one-punch KO power. He could if he caught you. But he wasn't, like, a Gaethje or not even a Poye. Um, it was much more attrition. He's going to yes. just, like, you know, there's a, there's that fantastic picture of the before and after of fighting Tony Ferguson. That's just like, you know, if you want to talk, like, I, I, I've talked about, like, hidden hammers. Tony Ferguson is way too popular to ever be a hidden hammer. But like Matt Brown, I am nominating him as a first ballot Hall of Fame violence guy. Like, the king, him and Matt Brown are probably, and Robbie Lawler, probably like the three, on, they're on that Mount Rushmore of pure violence. That one that always sticks from my mind when it comes to Tony, and that's sort of like attritional striking, is the cowboy fight. Oh. Because if you actually go back and watch that fight, which I think is very underrated, by the way, not a lot of people remember that one. It's fantastic. The first round is quite close between the two. And then just the accumulation of shots start building up. It's just, it's constant volume. And you eventually Mm. see it by the end of the second round, just the state of cowboy's face. So you've got these shots. They're not power punches, but it's the accumulation. And just, they eventually just build up. It's like, and before he even blows his nose. Yeah. 
because uh, I, I think I gave it a 9 out of 10 on the Retro Review series when I covered it. Plug. Uh, <laughs> when we need but, the plugs, no one watches them. We are on the second channel now, by the way, guys. Right here on this channel. And trust me, if you watch it, you're just going to watch them all because I'm, I'm pretty awesome. <laughs> It's a lot. It's a lot harder to say when you're, you know, uh, <laughs> when you're doing it here. It's easy to say when I'm reading the script, but um, I, uh, I think I give it a nine out of ten. With the only like fault being the, you know, blowing his nose. Um, but before he blows his nose, he is jacked up, like he is a mess before he blows that nose. Uh, then he blows it, and it's like, oh my god, is this the thing, 1982? Like, what is this? Um, but. I think he can crack him still. Um, weirdly enough, as technical of a grappler as he is, I, I think I, I, we talked about it before the show. I think Tony Ferguson's downfall was uh, age because he loses his athleticism, which really helped his style out tremendously. But the, the moment that does it is when he cut weight twice to prove a point to Justin Gaethje. And then he went out there. The first two rounds of that fight are unbelievably competitive, and they're awesome fight. It's a one of the best fights ever, I personally think, um, but it's hard to watch because those first two rounds are great. Then, you know, we get to round three, then round four, and round five, and it's just like, I'm, why am I watching this? Like, I feel a little sick, and I, I always blush about how much I love violence and all that. It's a little hard to watch, admittingly. It's like watching Logan, you know, or uh, like Stand By Me, like one of these like really sad movies. Marley and Me, all these like horribly sad good movies. It's like, oh, what am I doing this to myself? You know, a uh, little fun fact about me. I can't watch Logan or my favorite movie of all time, In Bruges, and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 without crying like a small child for my room for like 30 seconds or like in the fetal position. Word of advice. Uh, do not watch the champ. I, I, I you've recommended it to me. Uh, I probably will one day. I uh, was bawling watching the champ. Oh man, for me, uh, you know, we both played Red Dead Two, Red Dead One and Two. Arthur's last ride. Yeah. Oh. Uh, for, for me, if you're gonna get me, um, a dad story because I, you know, I lost my dad as my hero. Um, but then a brother story. Is really gonna hit home for me because I'm very close to my brother who's seven years younger than me, so Red Dead Two with like the the brother storyline it tells it just my heart. But um, yeah, it's it's a little hard. It, I think the build up to the Gaethje fight and then the Gaethje fight damage he took just just did it, you know. It, it's, it was like that straw that hit the camel's back. It was the, the left hook from Rampage kind of thing, like Chuck Liddell. Like that shot, you know, Chuck never had a great chin, but that shot seemed to just speed things up 20 years. That other that Rashad knockout. Oh, yeah, that one's... Well, he... No, he lost to Keith Sardine. Did he get a win after? He beat Vondelet. Oh, yeah, in a, in a classic. Yeah. That's a that's a fantastic fight, um, but may, maybe it was the Rashad fight. That that shot is, ugh. Um, but I, I think if Tony does do it, if he were to do it, and make me the happiest man in the world, I want to stress, 
I talk about my love of women on the show quite often. If Alexa, if if the miracle happens and I propose to Alexa Grasso or or Io Shirai or my number one honest outside of sports is Ana de Armas, and they said yes, right? In those hypothetical situations, I would be the second happiest I could be because if Tony Ferguson starches Patty Pimblett. I think that might top it in the moment, you know, in the moment that might top it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he will. I'm spoiler. I am picking Patty, sadly, but if he does do it, he's going to crack him and maybe submit him. But I do feel like even on the ground, it's kind of lost it. Yeah. that That's a big, that's a concern as well. Cause you can maybe say that even if Tony isn't as fast or as sort of like, durable as he was he could always fall back on the grappling but we've seen Bobby Green neutralize him there we've seen Charles Oliveira do the same thing Benny did it as well so I don't think Tony I just think the physicality's gone the big things that helped Tony Ferguson during his career were his unpredictability his pace and his durability I don't think he's got any of them left I I, who who am I to say to, to tell an absolute legend and a guy I personally believe in terms of pure ability. In terms of pure ability, he might be at least one or two greatest lightweight ever. Because him and BJ, prime BJ and prime Tony, yes. it, it has, in my brain, uh, I, I was a Habib fan during his uh, during his run. Eh, you know, post-retirement, not so much, honestly. But he was great. Prime Tony Ferguson prime bj pin just like in terms of ability just i i don't know if anyone beats those guys um i you know who am i to tell a legend like that you know that uh it's you you shouldn't be fighting but man i i I, if he loses i genuinely hope he calls it same here same here because we don't don't want want, we don't want a big fault we don't want a pen yeah yeah as much as we want to like, kind of make it about ourselves and have the little, I, I, I had a joke in here, uh, my notes saying, uh, I don't want to talk about Tony Ferguson fights anymore. That it's kind of a little bit of a joke. I, I don't want to make it about myself. I want it to be about, you know, the health of this absolute legend. Um, I, I don't want to see him go through this again. Yeah. So we'll happily change the subject then. And we'll move on to fight number three on the card. Now, a welterweight encounter, the second of three welterweight counters, which are happening on this one. I can see you're excited for this one, Joe. It's easy to see why. Shafkat Rachmanov versus Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, number five versus number six. Shafkat, you can get a minus 520, so he's the biggest favorite on the card. Wonderboy comes in at plus 390. And so we'll talk about Shafkat Rachmanov because... I think it's safe to say, Joe, if you're looking for a guy who has sort of become sort of like the hipster darling of the MMA community, I think Shafkat would be up there as maybe number one or number two. He's got to be. Has anyone else gotten close to him lately? Anyone you can think of? Aspinall was for a minute pre-Volkov, I thought. Yeah. But he, he lost it. Yeah. For me, um, to be, for me to sort of like be a hipster darling, you, you've got to have something about you. But you can't be too sort of prominent mm-hmm. in the fan base. Like once the once the like everyday fans know who you are, you've sort of lost that hipster cool. Yeah, I think once Aspinall 
beat Volkov. I think that just I think he lost the hipster cool. I think he just became straight up cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um this guy it's gotta be him though, right? Like he's one or two. Maybe Diego Lopez, actually. And Lopez would be a good call, actually. Yeah, Diego Lopez actually is kinda he's my rookie of the year, you know? Sandini into the call. Oh, Oh that uh, yeah he he's great showing in his last fight he's yes. he's a blast and a half uh, same card actually um and uh, man man the, it's probably those three I think Shavkat's got to take it though because it just I, oh. seventeen wins seventeen finishes eight KOs nine submissions that's a that is a beautiful statistic. Like, oh, that is, that is, that is melted butter. Like, just, just perfect right there. Oh, I, uh, this guy's the man. He's very good. <laughs> very talented. And you know what I think is one of the best things that he's done, you know, is a lot of the time, like, I've said this before online, like, if you follow my Twitter feed, I even made a comment about it a couple of days ago. I think that if you talk a big fight... It's good for marketing reasons, and it pushes you to the front of the queue much quicker. Yeah. But it raises people's expectations to the extent that if you don't match them, if you don't blow your own trumpet, mm-hmm. you are going to get a backlash for it. Hamzad, I think, is a big example of that. Yeah. Shafkat, he's done the exact opposite. He's just stayed quiet, kept himself to himself. He hasn't sort of made out, he hasn't been like calling out Leon Edwards and say I'm going to smash you in run, one round or anything like that he's just kept yeah. himself to himself and because of that you've got largely a fan base that seems to like the guy yeah he's really likable yes uh, and I, I've said it before on the show I'm going to reiterate it I think Hamzat Shemaev is a fantastic fighter Shavkat is better flat out better he's just a better fighter I think better all rounder I, I think just better. I think if they fought, I think Shavkat finishes him. Yeah. I, I'm I'm I am uh I'm on this hype train. I am uh I'm probably conducting it at this point. <laughs> and uh got my hat and everything, you know, for it. Uh this guy just reeks of Oh, you're champion, aren't you? You're gonna be champion. Like you, you, you just kinda get that feeling from a guy like this. And uh what a beautiful statistics he has. Eight KOs, nine submissions. Oh. So, it's interesting that you sort of like openly sort of like sort of bring up the fact that you're like this big sort of like shaft cut supporter. I think it's probably your second yeah. behind Luke Thomas right now. What did yeah. you make of the Jeff Neal fight then? Because I think that was the first time that people saw, I wouldn't say weaknesses in his game, but like he was mm-hmm. pushed by Jeff Neal at good points during that fight. He, he looked human. And uh, I thought he was winning on the cards decently. Maybe not, almost comfortably, I'd even say. But uh, he he looked human. He kind of taught. He kind of learned not to tall guy defense. He made that adjustment because mm-hmm. he got cracked doing the tall guy defense. Funny enough, as much as we talk about it. Um, and you know, he made the adjustments. He showed that he has the power to to hurt a guy like Jeff Neal, who has a great chin. Hurt him, and uh, he took. He took some great shots from Jeff Neal, and we saw, we saw how durable he is. So he isn't just a glass cannon of finishing power. And when he when he cracked him, uh, he hurt him, and he got him in one of the 
craziest neck cranks ever, and it just put him unconscious. It was utterly beautiful. Uh, that's one of my favorite. That's one of my fights of the year. Uh, it's not. It's not quite my fight of the year. Um, I think I'm probably still leaning towards Volkanovski Makachev one. I think that's probably my fight of the year. But yeah, that's up there for me. Yeah. Someone described Shafkat perfectly. He is a chisel rather than a sledgehammer. Ah, the scalpel instead of the chainsaw. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's a fantastic way of putting it. Yeah, I, I did have some concerns about his tall man defense, like you saw, like you saw, like early on. Mm. I think Jeff Neal landed some big shots against him in that fight, so that is something yeah. which I do think is maybe a little bit of a concern. But as you mentioned before, very good at reading his opponents and adjusting mid-fight, and. You also see, based on the record, obviously eight KOs, nine submissions, a fantastic all-rounder. So you can understand why there's so many people who are high on the guy. Mm. He, uh, he, he almost kind of like analyzes like what's his best way to beat you in that moment. Yeah. Um, because he's a he's an all-rounder, and it's like, oh, oof, striking's not working out here. I'm just gonna, you know, take you down and choke you out. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So we'll turn to his opponent now, which is Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. No introduction needed with this guy. 17 wins, 6 losses, 1 draw, which was that great fight against Tyron Woodley. The first one. Please do not watch the second. There was a second one? Not in my head, there wasn't. No. There was no, there was no <laughs> third Chuck Tito fight. Yeah, we got hit with uh, with this thing, right? The bring. <laughs> like Men in Black. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. Uh that joke. I do find it interesting to see Wonderboy choose this fight because what we've seen recently with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is, bearing in mind he's 40 years old now, he has mm-hmm. been a lot more selective with which fights he's taking. So mm-hmm. obviously he took the Kevin Holland fight because he knew it was going to be striker versus striker. Uh, same thing, same reason he took uh, Michelle Pereira, which was supposed to happen at 291. Unfortunately, that one fell through. But be- oh. bearing in mind how good Shafkart is on the ground, are you surprised he's chosen, yeah, you know what, I'm going to take on this guy that everybody's afraid of? Yeah, legitimately. Um, for me, I... Because I remember after the Bilal Muhammad fight, he was like, can I stop fighting grapplers, please? Like, I, I'm old. I just kind of want to fight strikers. And he's like... And I, I was like, you make a good point, I think. You know? Uh, if you earn a title shot that way, sure. It's not like you're an up-and-coming guy that's giving favor- favorable matchmaking. He's put in the work. He's put in the effort. Um, I think he deserved it. And I, I wonder if like that Michelle Pajeda mm-hmm. weird backlash he got from Dana White and like some fans made him go, you know what? How about this? How about I go KO your guy? Right now, I'm gonna go beat your guy. He's too nice of a guy to think that. He probably went, well, you know, I think I could probably beat that guy. Yeah, let's try to see if I can. Maybe I'll, people will be on my side again. You know, he's way too nice of a guy. NMF, nicest mofo in the game. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do think there's maybe an element of that because for anyone who maybe forgets, because this sport moves so quickly, I think a lot of people may have forgot what happened, but. Uh, Thompson versus Pereira was supposed to happen at 291. Uh, Pereira missed weight, and Wonderboy was given the offer to stay on the card, and the fighter proceeded to catch weight. And Wonderboy, mm. quite rightly so, said, you know what, I've made this effort to 
cut down to 170. My opponent didn't do so. I'm 40 years old. Why should I put myself at a disadvantage when I don't need to against somebody who doesn't have that same sort of professionalism as I did? Which yeah. I, I completely understand it from Wonderboy's perspective. It was disappointing to lose that fight from the card as a fan, but he's been a professional and we shouldn't criticize somebody for making the sort of professional decision. Yeah, I, I thought we, we, we oftentimes make fun of Dana White just doing his thing, but uh, that was way out of line, I thought. You know, yeah. they're just, just ragging on Wonderboy. I, I, I'm actually, I, have a, I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, do you think Wonderboy is a Hall of Famer? Based on his UFC career, I wouldn't say so. Really? Okay. No, I think he's a very talented fighter. Um, I think eventually it's going to get to the stage because like, you put five or six people in pretty much every year. So eventually it'll reach yeah. the stage where someone like a Wonderboy will come through. But I think there's other people I would put in before him. I think he's a fantastic fighter, very entertaining. Um, but in my opinion... The people who should be in now are like the guys like like the Frank Shamrocks of the world, or he's never getting put he's in. He's never getting put in. But nah. it's that kind of ilk of fighter I should be putting in first. That doesn't take anything away from Wonderboy's abilities. Incredibly talented, mm. but I think you need more. I would put more credential people in there first. I uh, I have a fear in a prediction. I predict Dana White is going to put Jorge Masvidal. Oh no, boy. Yeah, I thought about that this week, and I went. He's going to put in Masvidal before he puts in Wonder Boy. Honestly, Masvidal would be less deserving than Sarah. Yeah, I think Sarah deserves it legitimately. That's the biggest upset I've uh, personally. Uh, seen. Someone made this comment though, which, like, for like, I'm not taking anything away from Matt Sarah, because obviously yeah. he became UFC champion, which I, I haven't even fought in MMA, but yeah. If you're putting Matt Sarah in the Hall of Fame for winning the Ultimate Fighter and giving us one of the sport's biggest upsets, then Juliana Pena's Hall of Fame induction's right around the corner. Sadly, I, I, I can agree with that. Well, yeah, I can agree with that. because She did the same uh, thing. Yeah, because I think, I'll, I'll, I'll break it down like this. Matt Sarah beat, and did just beat, he finished and, and with a great game plan. He came in with a game plan, and he executed it perfectly to KO the greatest fighter ever in the sport. As of now, obviously. The GOAT. He KO'd the GOAT. Um, Jillian Pena, wine mom, boxed her way into beating the female. The female. It's never not funny. It's never not funny. You know? It's like a fart joke. It's always going to be funny. <laughs> wine mom boxing's perfect. Um... But she legitimately beat, in my opinion, uh, the the women's goat. So, I, you know, they don't deserve it on like their career, like their like whole talent. They don't deserve it, but on uh, that accomplishment, yeah. yeah. I, I, I sadly, I sadly, I can agree with that, uh, admittingly. But also, they need to stop putting so many people in the Hall of Fame. I would like a, a harder threshold to be in the hall of fame it might like maybe yeah maybe one year just do two guys you know <laughs> i think the current sort of model they've got so okay so it's like one modern one classic one classic in a fight one great fight and one sort of behind the scenes guy oh yeah yeah that's the way to do like, it like put like buffer or someone in oh 
They should. Yeah. They should put, uh, you know, they're never going to put in, but they should put Goldberg. In. Mike Goldberg. Yeah. Yeah. Bill Goldberg, right? <laughs> Bill actually did some yeah. commentary for like Elite XC. Yeah. I, I, love, I love Chill Sun and talking about that because uh, Bill Goldberg used to put his arm around the opponents and he's a monster of a man. So he instantly would like kill a lot of hype <laughs> because he's just so much bigger than like the average middleweight. <laughs> but um, yeah. Mike Goldberg, 10,000% deserves to be in. So a lot of people are framing this fight. Yeah, we are talking about Shafka versus Wonderboy. We've got this amazing belter fight and we're talking about like Goldberg. Um, a lot of people believe that Shafka's going to make this one look easy. He's just going to take Wonderboy down straight away, probably finish him on the ground, submit him, that sort of thing. But one of the things I've noticed when it comes to both fighters is... A big weakness with Wonderboy's wrestling recently has been guys who could shoot a double leg. So it was something that Bilal mm -hmm. did very effectively. It was something that um, Gilbert Burns did effectively. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like Shafkat's takedowns are more sort Clinches. of clinch-based, clinching trips. Do you think that maybe might neutralize the sort of grappling offense that Shafkat possesses? He's got, it means he's got to get in there yes. and get chest-to-chest -chest with him. Uh, the benefits of having a single double leg based attack, more of a you know um, freestyle wrestling, is you're able to if you're quick you can close that distance pretty quick with the level change. Um, the problem with you know the Greco style is you kind of have to get in there. You kind of so um, that's going to make cutting the cage the, the 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 number one priority if he wants to take him down. And that means you're striking with him for an extended period of time, which is never fun. If you're uh, fighting Wonder Boy, it's never a fun time trying to strike with him. Uh, so I think that's an interesting element. I think Shawkat's a very good ring cutter. Um, he he's kind of a flashier ring cutter too, because uh, if if you're if you're circling to your right, his left, he'll just wheel kick you. <laughs> 10 out of 10, that's fantastic. Um, I think the game plan should be to get him to the ground. Because one of the reasons uh, Shavkat is kind of like my Gary strides them. Wow! Um, I'm like, one, it's one of the, I'm just so, I'm, I'm very hot on the guy. Is uh, he, he comes across as uh, an A-tier striker, not quite S. Let's be honest, he's not an S-tier striker, but an A-tier striker with an S-tier grappling game, and that's super fun. Um, and uh, I think I think he can use his striking to get into a position where he can allow his grappling to take over the fight. And I think from there, it's probably, he can probably call it a night, you know, put a, put an end to it. With me in the background just going, wow, wow, like, <laughs> um, striced, wow, I love, I love, it's my favorite, it's a striced, wow, love it, um, and, uh, I think that's three for three on main card OSW yeah. references, but, eh, uh, <laughs> we're used to it, sadly, um, but I, I think he's just, um, I think that's probably how he gets it done too. 
he, he I think even though he's got to get in there, I think he can use his striking game to cut the cage off and then potentially because Kevin Holland clinched him against the cage at one point and he it was very funny I saw the uh, clip this week when I was doing my uh, like some research I guess Kevin Holland said oh hey my bad I'm not going to take you down that was an accident and I'm like oh that's crazy that fight's awesome that was really fun watching that again um, but I, if I, I could see Shotcott getting a clinch and from there he's probably taking him down uh, and I, as much as Wonder Boy's grappling has, like, there's moments where it looks pretty good. It looks like it's improved a lot. It, it just isn't on the level, you know, sadly. He just kind of came into the MMA way too late, I think, to have hit that elite level of the grappling, at least. Yeah. Um, I am picking Shavkat to win this one. Um, I think the Wonder Boy will have enough survival skills on the ground that Shavkat isn't going to finish him. So we will see a little bit of history made. I think that Shafkart will get his first decision. The big question that comes out of this, though, if Shafkart wins, should he surpass Bilal Muhammad? And will he surpass Bilal yeah. Muhammad? Uh, no and yes. So you think Shafkart fights um, the winner of the main event? Yeah. Uh, or, sadly... Leon Edwards has been lately just talking about going to middleweight. What they I could see them doing Shavkat Balea. Interim belt. Yeah. No, for the vacant. Well, you think they're just gonna full on strip Leon? Maybe interim, maybe vacant. It just kinda of depends. You know? I just don't think there would be any interest in Leon fighting the winner of um Strickland DDP. I think it's really stupid to leave a division when you've only defended your belt against uh, the guy you beat for the belt, which is fine. I thought it's a very, very high-quality win. Uh, and then your next defense is against a guy who um, doesn't deserve a title shot. I've said for a while, like, that is, in my opinion, Connor's worst legacy is the obsession with double champs. Because mm -hmm. think about, like, the dominant champions you had over the years. The GSPs, the Aldos, Mighty Mouse, Chef of the World, who kept constantly DJs. turning back contender after contender seven or eight title defences. Nowadays, like a lot of the modern fan base don't hold those in as high a regard as someone like Pereba, who just got fast-tracked to two belts, which he mm -hmm. didn't deserve a claim to either of them. Yeah, that's a thing. I, I actually have a question. You, When you were bringing him up, you said like uh, a couple people. Did you, I think you stuttered. I think you said Chev when you meant Grosso? Chev, seven title defences. Well, Grosso, you know, I don't know. What I, was doing right there. I don't have. One. I saw what you were I trying to do. One. I don't. I don't have one. <laughs> you got. You win this time, Chef. Yeah. Fans. <laughs> That's. We are um, staying at one twenty-five, though. Albeit on the men's side, because we've got our core main event coming up here. The flyweight title is on the line, and it's our new champion, Alexandra Pantoja, who is taking on Brandon Royval. So it's the number two seed who is looking to try and claim the belt this time. Pantoja comes in as a minus 175 favourite. You can get Royval at plus 145. A rematch from an Apex fight card, which uh, Pantoja won by second round submission. I will say, though, um, before we start talking about this fight, can we just give a shout out to how good the flyweight division is? They it's probably the best division right now. 
Maybe. I wouldn't say it's the best division, but it's definitely the strongest this division has ever been. Because this was a division which yeah. was on the chopping block. Like, the UFC yeah. were very, very close to getting rid of it. They started cutting people like Dustin Ortiz. Brandon Moreno left the promotion, had to fight in LFA for a little bit. And yeah. now, I think it's up there as sort of like maybe like the third or the fourth best weight class. Like, what, in your opinion, has caused flyweight to sort of boom in the way it has? Uh, I, something, ha I, I don't know. I, I, I wonder if I, I have a theory. I would, I would want to like see the timeline of events and like the, all the data in front of me. But I wonder when they started signing these guys put like, cause, uh, like Brandon Royville, I think he debuted in 2020. Um, they signed him post. Uh, it was definitely moment, a lockdown. Definitely the, lockdown. Yeah, I think one of the catalysts of it was probably. I wonder if it was TJ talking smack, going like, "I'm gonna go down there and shut this whole division down," and then afterwards, I'm gonna eat a big old thing of spaghettios. I don't know. Uh, he looks like a toddler still. He can't grow facial hair. I say that as you know. I mean, we know we we both can grow facial yeah. hair. <laughs> I have to. I, I didn't want to make another EPO joke <laughs> on him again. I, I've, I've done that so many times. Uh, but um, I made one in a, a recent video. But, um, yeah, I like, I think, I know Moreno came after that fight with Cejudo and Dillashaw. Um, I, I, I wonder if, like, I think they started signing guys when they realized, well, I guess we're keeping this division. And on top of that, you had guys like Figueredo, who wasn't near the title picture when uh, they had Mighty Mouse and Cejudo fight. So he wasn't like being talked about as like the next potential guy for Mighty Mouse. Because I stand by, I think Mighty Mouse won that fight. Um, I think it's a close fight, but I think Mighty Mouse wins it. Um, I don't think Cejudo should have been in the champion in that spot. But I think if he did win, I think they're probably closing that division down. Um, Dana hates Mighty Mouse. And I was going to mention Mighty Mouse as well, because I, I want to stress, I have a lot of respect for Demetrius Johnson. I, I think man. he's one of the best fighters of all time. Do you think that Mighty yeah. Mouse leaving and sort of... Because the big issue that you had was Mighty Mouse was just turning back contenders after contenders, and he wasn't the biggest draw. He wasn't the more sort of like mm. social media sort of like... Like, the UFC weren't making a big deal trying to promote him. Mighty Mouse was quite a quiet guy, happy to sort of keep himself to himself. Do you think mm. that him sort of leaving the weight class, so like, what's the old saying? If you take the lid off the basket and the crabs roam free, I kind of yeah. feel like that's happened. Like, a lot of those people who are very good fighters, just not at Mighty Mouse's level, were now being pushed as the best thing in the weight class. And people were saying, hey, you know what, this... This is actually a really competitive class when you haven't got that one dominating figure at the top. I, I like that theory a lot, but I feel like my one issue with it is it. I feel like it implies that Mighty Mouse would have never, like, Mighty Mouse would have just smoked the current guys, when I don't think that's necessarily true. I think Figueredo gives him a lot of potential issues. Um, I think uh, Brandon Moreno would have given him some issues. I think Pantoja, and I think, I, I don't know if Royville would have, but um, I could see Royville hurting him, because obviously we've seen him on FC. He is human, it turns out. He can be knocked out, at yeah. least. Because a lot of people um, were saying the same thing about women's flyweight, when there was a massive gap between Chev yeah. and the rest of the field. 
it wasn't sure. until that gap got closed up that people started to realize, you know what, this actually is a really good weight class. I wonder if it was like uh, people coming into their own, like Figueredo, and I think him getting promoted more, you know, yes. allows him to. I think I think that him getting promoted more allows him to change camps, uh, spend more money on travel, and because let's be honest, UFC pays forty dollars, basically. It feels like um, it pays him like forty bucks to fight. So getting promoted more means you know you now you're making sixty bucks. You can spend that extra bit of money to pay for your own training you get better training you get better sparring partners you're able to fly out or fly people in and that's going to elevate things um i i want i i wonder if that helped the division out maybe weird putting resources and promotion into Who'd a division have thought it. It's, it makes it good. weird it's like it's it's like the ufc's a promotion <laughs> weird but um uh and i think like and on top of that they started re-signing guys who had talent and were really coming to the lane. Brandon Moreno is like, he's my age, you know? So he was 26, 27 when he won his belts, when he won the first belt. I think he was 24, 25 when he got cut, you know? So he didn't, he wasn't even coming into his own. Uh, Pantoja was super hot, you know? He just kind of stuttered against Tim Elliott. And then, you know, Tim Elliott (laughs) nearly finished Mighty Mouse in that fight. Um, and so, like, Pantoja, I thought, was, like, you know, he was moving up. He was coming into his own because he's still pretty young. And uh, I, I think with my – I think I, – you know what? I'm, I'm actually starting to be convinced here. I think Dana White just hates Mighty Mouse so much. He's never he's never getting into the Hall of Fame if we're on the Hall of Fame thing. Mighty Mouse is never getting in, and it's a, a darn shame because Mighty Mouse is a top three fighter ever in my opinion, at least, if not two, like, um, and I think with him gone, it's like, well, I guess we're keeping it. It'd be really funny to spite Mighty Mouse. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about how, let's talk about how effing awesome these guys are, you know? And, uh, and that allowed the division to grow and thrive. So we'll talk about one of the fighters in this main event first, which is our champion Pantoja. So his last fight, he got himself his second depending on where you think about it, his third win over Brandon Moreno at UFC 290, which is a fantastic fight, in my opinion, one of the top 10, maybe top five of the year. God, I just love that. Yeah, I love that there. striker versus grappler dynamic. I love the fact that Moreno would start mm-hmm. building momentum, sort of pacing up Pantoja, who would then get the takedown, only for Moreno to scramble to his feet. Um, one of the things I will say, though, you mentioned promotion there when it comes to the flyweights. I do think the UFC maybe missed a trick when it comes to promoting Pantoja because the big thing that stood out for me when Pantoja won that fight he told that story about what he went through to reach this sort of pedestal and Mm -hmm. I was just thinking to myself imagine if the UFC had sort of made people more aware of Pantoja and got that story into the sort of public conscious a little bit earlier because I think a lot of people going into that fight just saw Pantoja as Brandon Moreno's next opponent if they told that story and made people really care and root for this guy, I think that the sort of fan perception of him would have been much better. I'm not saying that people dislike Pantoja, I'm just saying that they didn't know Pantoja, which they should do going into a title fight. Yeah, I mean, I think think it's a big problem when, you know, 
uh, once again, going back to the, it's like, I think it's a really bad issue the UFC has where they're a fight promotion yes. and a fight organization. They're both. Dana White is the president and head promoter of the UFC. Just not actively, just not giving a damn about promoting anything uh, unless, unless it's Connor uh, or someone talking smack. So it's really easy. Like, Oh, less effort. It's easy just to talk about this guy. Um, and I, I think that uh, he would have a lot, like a lot of goodwill, you know, maybe even a fan favorite. Um, which you know, I know I don't know how controversial that fight is. I don't actually remember. I remember thinking uh, Moreno won, but I'm also biased. So I think the cons- consensus I saw was you could make an argument Moreno won, but on the whole, people thought Pantoja. I feel like I, I, I think I talked, now that I ever think about it, I, think, I remember talking about it in the recap where I said, maybe I'm the hypocrite because, no, I, I, no, it was, uh, yeah, I, I mentioned how I didn't score it for Islam when Islam just held the back for dear life, hoping for the best. Um, I, I, I didn't score it for Islam when he did that against Makachev in round four of their first fight. I didn't score it for... Uh, Pantoja when Pantoja did against Moreno and uh, but I scored it for Talia Santos when she did it to Chev uh, I, I admittingly poked fun at myself for like oh I'm just a hypocrite it turns out um, so I, I, I don't know that's that's a weird thing because like having the back that's one of the best positions it takes a lot of work to get the back yeah, but then you, when you do nothing with it, it just kind of sours it, my taste in my mouth. It makes me just like, like you get to a dominant position, then you just kind of hold the guy. I I don't know. When it's like in, in when it's deliberate stalling, I don't know. It kind of rubs a bad taste in my mouth, which I think I I'm very biased yeah. against. So you watched the first yeah. fight between Pantoja and Royval, and mm-hmm. we sort of sort of highlighted this. It was just a. Who was the main event of the uh, the Apex card that they um, fought at? Cannoneer uh, and Cannoneer and Gaslam. I know nothing about that fight. I remember nothing about that fight. But I remember it. But we did watch this. We did watch the first fight between the two. What were your big takeaways? What do you think both fighters can learn from that fight? Royval should not go to the ground with this guy. Um, Royval is. How do I describe him? He's like, he's like a perpetual Tasmanian devil, like the cartoon character out there. Um, I know his nickname is Raw Dog, which is awesome. Um, but Darren Till might have ruined it for me. <laughs> Still one of the funniest running jokes in MMA. But um, yeah, uh, he he's like, are you going to strike with him? He's going to come at you with. Uh, a random flying knee, maybe 15 spinning back elbows. Maybe he'll just throw like another 40 flying knees in a spin kick. Who knows? Um, and then you take him down and it's like, I'm going to throw 40 triangle chokes in a row. What? Like, and scramble on you randomly. He really couldn't do that. He, he attempted it against Pantoja, but Pantoja is a much better grappler than him and had the technical ability and the strength to kind of plant him and keep him in position to, uh, to fully take advantage of those situations and then just eventually got that choke in. 
Um, it really seemed like Royville's length led to Pantoja just being able to get a hold of him better, in my opinion. Because the times that I saw yeah. that Royville was having success was when it was a distant striking match. He was landing some good yeah. shots on him. Yeah. But he can't go to the ground with this guy. Yeah. Just... It's, it's, it sucks, too, because Royville's grappling is so much fun. Yeah, I, I just think that a guy like Pantoja is such an Achilles heel for a guy who relies so much on that scrambling game. Yeah. Just not a bad... It's not a good idea, you know? Because uh, best case, you survive and it goes to the judges' scorecards where this guy was the aggressor on the ground against you. Um, worst case is he takes your neck again. One thing I will say, though, which is a positive when it comes to Brandon Royval. So we'll, we'll talk about him in a little bit more detail. 15-6 and six record, 5-2 and two so far in the UFC. The two losses coming against Pantoja in that first fight. He also lost to Brandon Moreno at 255, which was a title eliminator, it turned out. Um, but I will say, like, when it comes to Brandon Royval, a lot is made of his scrambling ability, which is mm-hmm. so fun to watch. And I think that's one of the best things about the flyweight division is just how fast these guys are on the ground. And I know there's a lot of people who are just like, oh, God, any kind of jujitsu, any kind of wrestling, I hate it. Watch the flyweight division, it will completely change your mind. And now they've got the power as well. I think that's another factor why the division's got as good as it is. The power, that finishing. Brandon Royval is not a technician. But he's chaotic. And he can crack. And if you look at some of his big moments in the UFC, it's Kaikawa France dropping him, and it's finishing Nicola with that uh, jumping knee. Yeah. Then elbowing yes. him to death afterwards, which was haunting, but awesome. Um, the KKF fight is it's my fantastic. favorite of Roy Yeah, because there's a, a sequence where Kaikawa France, who is the better striker than him, um, properly blasts him. And Royval's like, oh, this is this is bad. And then he throws a spinning elbow in like a panic state and clobbers him with that shot. And uh, it is and then drops him hard with it. And then they go back and forth on the ground like just oh, it is a just chef's kiss, dude. Just oof. yeah, love it. Yeah. So what would you say is Brandon Royval's best path to victory, do you think? I think Pantoja, we talked about, you know, the, the clinch, clinching up and shooting double legs freestyle at Greco, kind of uh, ways of getting into the ground. Pantoja kind of mixes it up a little bit. I think if I am Royval, I'm looking at calf kicks because that is a lot lower to reach down yeah. to try and get a hold of your leg. So that's one benefit of calf kicks over thigh kicks. It's uh, the risk of being taken down is non-existent almost. So I think calf kicks, I really want to suggest, uh, like, straight kicks. I always talk about that, how much I love straight kicks. You know, snap kicks up the middle. To Double leg. Create the distance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Oh, you know what? what you, are you suggesting that Brandon Royval just jilt in Almeida Pantoja? I mean, I mean, I mean, that's what's going to be John Jones, <laughs> like... I mean, last time I checked, Yelton Almeida is... He had that barn burner flat, too. That's one of the best fights of the year. Yeah. 
Oh, hold on. Opposite day just ended. Um, our 24 hours are up. I love how Dana White admitted, oh, we're just going to pretend <laughs> that didn't happen. Oh, <laughs> uh, I wish he'd said that before I started watching it for the recap. <laughs> I love the fact that we called that recap, he can't keep getting away with this. <laughs> I had my proper Jesse Pinkman moment. You know? Um, I think... <laughs> That's one of my favorites ever. Um, you can't keep getting away with it. Uh, he, I think, I think I really want to suggest low, low kick or uh, snap kicks. It's teep kicks up the middle, but I feel like that's how you get a leg caught by a guy who's gonna want to take you down. Uh, I wonder if he can jumping knee try and time him there. I don't think you should spin at all. That's actually number yeah. one. Just don't spin because I'm not making yeah, a joke. Here. My one... You spin, you give up the yeah. back. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I was a, it's it, it's like playing with fire. It's like it's like being near a bar as like a former alcoholic. You're just tempted. I, I, I made my one chef joke this show. I'm not I'm not breaking it. You know, I've been good today. Uh, <laughs> I think um, there are two big X factors that I do have, and I just want your opinion on these. The first off is for a good portions of his career, Pantoja was known for having quite a poor gas tank. Now, he maybe did alleviate some of those concerns by obviously getting the five-rounder against Brandon Moreno. Is that mm-hmm. maybe something that could be brought back to the table, bearing in mind the pace that Brandon Royval puts on people? But also as well, Pantoja is 34 and coming off an absolute war where he was pieced up a lot by Brandon Moreno. I thought he was kind of. T- I thought he looked kind of tired near the end of that fight. Do you too. think his durability might be called into question? I don't know if his durability is. I think his gas tank is his biggest weakness. Um, I think he's pretty durable. Like he got. Brandon Randall doesn't have that like Figueiredo no. kind of power, but uh, he took just a large amount of shots constantly in that fight. Um. I don't think it's his. I think it's his cardio because I feel like I felt like half the time when he took and got a good position, he was just taking a breather on the ground because I think his cardio is still a problem. Um, ah, you know what? We haven't talked about those infamous Pantoja blitzes. Yet. Mm. Yeah, remember he used to do. He did that a ton for a long time, and that was like his only thing. That he would do that until he gets tired, or he would. Uh, just win, <laughs> you know what I mean, and like take you down after a blitz. Um, I wonder if I think knees are a pretty decent strategy against Pantoja, especially if you're the tall, lanky guy, kind of bringing a knee in there. I think if you're kneeing, you're hitting in the midsection, in the gut, in the body. All those are fantastic. Uh, if you use it to intercept him coming in on a blitz or trying to get a takedown or anything like that. I think that's really good against a guy with a, you know, who has cardio questions. Um, and obviously the flying knee uh, is there. But I wonder if Royval has the, the counter-punching, because he definitely has the power, but I wonder if he has the counter-punching to catch him on a blitz. But that said, Pantoja didn't really blitz Moreno, no. I don't remember. No, he was pretty patient in that fight. I think the safe bet is to go for Pantoja to win this one. 
I think it's maybe yeah. going to go a little bit longer than the first fight, so I'm going to say Pantoja by a third round submission. Um, I do think Royval has more of a chance if it goes longer in the fight. But you know sometimes your gut just says something to you. And you just think, I can't help but shake this feeling that this is going to happen. I think Brandon Royval is a real live dog in this fight. I, I, j- I can see him catching like Pantoja with like a, like a knee or something coming in. Mm-hmm. I think if he does it, it's a knee. and Or a counter yeah. punch. You know? Um... I think I'm I'm not I'm personally not a, a betting man, uh, but if I was, I wouldn't I wouldn't shy away from Royval here if you have some, you know, looking to play. I think he's definitely alive alive. Plus one forty five. I think it's real value for money with Brandon Royval. Yeah, I think you can definitely drop some value there. Um, I think I, I am picking Pantoja. I'm just trying to think of when. Because my brain says fourth round, but then thinking about the cardio problems, I think I think third round's a safe bet. I'll uh, I'll be I'll 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 uh, I'll copy you here. <laughs> um, I think third round's a safe bet, and I even will go so far. I think rear naked choke. I'll even pick how he does. Yeah, um, I'm leaning towards I'm leaning towards rear naked choke as well. Yeah, I think that's how he's gonna catch him. I think he's just gonna take his back, and. Um, you know, I was thinking of what Michael Chiesa said about fighting James Vick on the Ultimate Fighter. It's like this guy is tall, lanky, and a better striker than me. Thank God, it's so easy to take a tall tower down, or something. He said something like that, like a tall building down. I was like, yeah, that's fair. You know, he said a tall tree. I was going to say, like, tall, God, tall building would create a lot of scandal. Yeah, actually, yeah. Think about it. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, is he take a tall tree yeah. down? Quite appropriate. We're talking yeah. about controversy. Colby Covington's coming next. <laughs> and the, how did he earn this title shot? Mm. Our main event time, and we are talking about the welterweight title fight. It is Leon Edwards who is defending his belt for the second time up against Colby Covington, who is inexplicably still the number two ranked seed in the welterweight division. <laughs> Betting odds for this one, you can get Leon Edwards at minus 150. Colby comes in at plus 125. <coughs> So, Joe, I will set the scene for you. Colby Covington enters this fight with two wins and two losses in his past four. The two wins being Robbie Lawler and Jorge Masvidal, who have both since retired from the sport. Currently, he holds zero wins over ranked welterweights, and his only win over a fighter who is currently ranked is RDA, which was that interim title fight at UFC 225. He hasn't fought in nearly two years. Why is he fighting for the title now? Um, I have a joke answer. I'd like to hear it. It's Dana White's also a Republican. No, Colby Covington. I don't actually believe is a Republican. That's I'm not even into politics, yeah. but I just uh, that's like, that's the only thing I could think of. I think is, a, I think a good portion. Dana seems. I like think a him. good portion of the. I, I'm tempted to say that quite a few MMA fighters do lean um, Republican. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I think that's a common thing. Uh, most of my friends uh, are Democrats because I'm a younger, younger generation. Uh, and for the record, uh, I think I, oh, I, you know what? Yeah, I am a, I am a registered Democrat as well, but I don't vote anymore. That's another yeah. story. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I've noticed that too. Like a lot of other like fighters are typically Republicans. Obviously, Colby is playing a character. I firmly believe 
He's playing a heel persona. Um, uh, I just think Jorge Masvidal doesn't understand what pro wrestling is and thought it was real. <laughs> That's my personal theory. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I legitimately don't know. Because I, 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 there's a lot of sort of catch-22s when it comes to, to Colby. Like, I've heard a lot of people try and justify reasons for this because there's some people saying that, well, Colby's an all-action fighter. He's much more exciting than Bilal. And I was thinking, yeah. is he really? Like, a lot of his fights go to a decision. He doesn't really have that much power on his hands. Yes, the two Usman fights were very good, but I think that was more of a stylistic matchup, them two working off well off one another. And I think that was a big reason mm-hmm. that those two fights were as entertaining as they were. And I'm not really a Colby fan, but I, even I'll admit, those two fights were great. Yeah. Oh, awesome. And also, you have some people saying that it's because of Colby's character, it generates clicks, it generates views. And I was thinking, yes, that would have done in 2017, 2018, when Donald Trump was in office and the whole sort of Make America Great Again character was at its like most prevalent. Mm-hmm. Does that really have the same impact in 2023? No. American, who lives in the South, uh, where that is a very popular, that was a very, you know, popular motif uh, in the South. No. No, that don't, that don't, that didn't work. Uh, I don't think it works now, necessarily. Um, yeah, I have no idea. I will say, I think he is much more exciting. Uh, I, I struggle to think of a good Bilal Muhammad fight. Sean Brady, I guess, first one I always think of. I struggle to think of a second one. I could think about three or four good Colby Covington fights. I think with Bilal Law, I th- and I say this with every fighter in any weight class, I think if you have two fighters who have an equal claim to a title fight... Meritocracy. You go, yeah, you go, for, the bi- you go for the bigger name. Mm-hmm. You go for the star power. I completely get that from a business perspective. But when there's one guy who is so substantially ahead of everyone else that you have to acknowledge that. And in my opinion, Bilal is in that position. Yeah. Like, the guy hasn't lost in, what, 10 or 11 fights? Yeah. He's, uh... His, and, and he also has a story... Yes. ...built into this title fight. He... His last fight that he didn't win, he was getting smoked, but you never say never. And then, like, here's my pitch for a trailer, for how you pitch it, is... You have Joe Rogan and all them going like Leon Edwards looks phenomenal out here. He is demolishing Bilal Muhammad, or like, or like, yeah, he or like he's just dominating his opponent. And then you cut to the eye poke, and then you just have a saying like, you know, or something like, the uh, a fight's not over till it's over. And then you show the head kick, like yes, it is picture perfect. You never know, and. I I I I struggled to stay awake when one of my favorite guys at welterweight Gilbert Burns fought Bill and Muhammad, and I have almost chills thinking of the promotions and the story built in there with Bill Muhammad fighting um, Cole, uh, Leon. But I don't know. I, I legitimately have no idea. Uh, it is one of the more baffling things of all time. Would you say it's one of the top ten most undeserved title shots? It's probably time for another video. 
It was the first one I ever made. First one I ever made was undeserved title shots, and then for episode one hundred, I uh, redid it with like some modern ones, changed some people around, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Didn't have fight pass, so I couldn't get any John Lorber, hence why he wasn't in the first video. Yeah, well, third, third, uh, third installment, Colby Covington, number one. That being said, you know we are clowning on Colby not earning this title fight, and I stand by that. I don't think he deserves it. I think stylistically, though, he could be a very, very tough ask for Leon. I think the the best meta, in my opinion, in MMA is the cardio wrestler. It's the reason why I'm so high on Marab. I think, again, he should be another guy who should be fighting for the title next. Yeah. And Colby fits that bill. At least Prime Colby did. Because mm-hmm. it was just constant, I'm just going to keep peppering you with just kicks and punches. And then when you're a bit overwhelmed by that, I'm diving in to take the legs. Yeah. I I think I think that's the best style as well. I also think Colby has zero in a video game his power is at a zero, but it's just and he's never gonna finish you with strikes. I don't even think you know, like we talked about like the Tony and uh like Moreno and just how they just the accumulation is what builds up for the finish. Um Colby Covington's never doing that to you, funny enough. He's going to hit you a thousand times more. He's still not going to finish you. Um, But it's going to suck, and it's going to make you tired, and he's going to make you look dumb out there if he just does, if he just keeps hitting you. And, uh, like, he... I mean, Tyron Woodley so passed his prime. He destroyed Tyron Woodley at every level of that fight um, with just constant pressure. And, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, um, like... And the other thing as well with Tyron Woodley is, and a big another reason why I have concerns for Leon is, Tyron Woodley, especially later on in his career, became far too patient. Just yeah. waiting for that moment to try and land that big right hand. And he would just keep missing the opportunities. Just the reflexes weren't there anymore. And if I do have a big patient. criticism... If I have a big criticism of Leon Edwards, it's his patience. Yeah, that's the thing I worry about. Because Usman was constantly coming at him, right? But kind of the, the volume, you know, coming forward at him, it's just walking forward like this. Um, Colby's coming at you, and it, once he's in range, he's throwing like 80 things at you. So, like, Leon has good cardio. He has good footwork. To, that, can, that can frustrate Colby. Um, he's got a great counter shot. Um, he's a little too patient for it sometimes. Um, if they clinch up, that's going to be interesting, because uh, I love watching uh, Leon Edwards in the like in the open clinch. His clinch work is I love it. Yeah. One of the big sort of traits that people have noted with Leon Edwards, something I've noticed as well, is it's not so much what he does in the clinch. He does out. Yeah, it's coming out of it. He releases. And then comes the elbow. Did the, caught um, RDA multiple times with it. I think he dropped Gunny with one of those clinch elbows. Mm-hmm. The Cerrone was the first time I went, oh, hey, this guy's actually pretty good. Yeah. Because um, uh, in that Cerrone fight, he they clinch up a ton in the over-under clinch out in the center, the center of the octagon. And uh, Cerrone's, like, trying to get, like, his, you know, they always say the underrated wrestling of Cerrone. He's trying to get something going there. And... 
Leon Edwards is just kneeing him in the gut. So many times it was red, and then they break. Here comes the elbow. Like every time, it is. It was hilarious. Just, and I thought he was gonna finish Nate Diaz with that. I was like, oh, he Nate Diaz, the one the most active elbower in the game on the feet against one of the guys with the most scar tissue ever. Yeah, this fight's getting called by uh, by that. Also, that I, I, anyone who holds that over Leon's head is yeah. whatever. And a lot of people properly downplayed Leon going into the Usman fight because of what happened against Diaz. Yeah. Uh, I will say this. I think Diaz hits a lot harder <laughs> than Colby. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's also got better hands than Colby, I think. So it makes sense for him to catch Leon eventually. Um, could you imagine, though, if Nate just didn't point and laugh? Like how this, how history plays out? Usman versus Diaz would have been so one-sided. It would have been awful. You and me would have been, like, pulling our hair out, having to talk about it. We would have just talked about OSW. <laughs> well, we do anyway. Yeah. With When we, like, went off a tangent about the Hall of Fame about Shafkar versus Wonderboy, I felt so bad. Well, I felt bad, too, because that's actually my pick for fight of the night. Yeah. Um, that fight's going to be fight of the night. But... Uh... One thing I have noticed with Colby, though, and I think this may be something to highlight, especially bearing in mind the long time away from the sport. In Colby's... I think I'm going to say, like, in Colby's last two losses, he's been, well, I would say his last two fights, I should say, He's been dropped. Masvidal mm-hmm. cracked him, I think, in the fourth round of their fight. And, of course, Kamaru dropped him twice in the second fight and also dropped him again in their first fight. Yeah. Is Colby's chin maybe not as good as people make it out to be? I think it's... I always, I always talk about this. Um, I always forget who I use it as an example. Oh, Dan Henderson. I use Dan Henderson as an example. I've seen Dan Henderson get knocked down multiple times in his career pre-TRT tour destroying the chin. I've seen him get knocked down multiple times in his career. I, I think it's I think it's okay to get knocked down, you know, and have a good chin. I think that's fine. Um, it's how you know, your no, handle get knocked down. Yeah. Not like, to quote Rocky Balboa, but, you know, it's kind of like that. Because, hot take alert... I don't think Frankie Edgar had the best chin. What Frankie Edgar was really good at was knowing what to do when he was hurt. Yeah, I think he legitimately was knocked unconscious in multiple fights. And uh, then just came to, you know, like I think his, I think he had the best instincts ever. Also, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> um, I think there's only there's only one fight I can think of. Well, there's a couple of fights when I think of like Frankie Edgar having a good chin, but there is one fight in particular where I go, "Wow, Frankie's chin may be like the real deal." Um, funny, that's his nickname, isn't it? Frankie, the real deal, Edgar. Was uh, that the right? answer. No, it was the answer. The real deal, somebody though. Holyfield. Yes, it is Holyfield. Oh man, um, but uh, I, I I I don't disagree with your take. Um, I, I think Frankie had a good chin, but I, I definitely see what you're coming. I think his instincts are just unbelievable when he's half unconscious, you know. But in my favorite fight of all time, my beloved Aldo Edgar won 
um, my number one fight ever. Uh, he gets hit with an up kick or with a, a front kick up the middle, and he looks like he goes out for a second, and then it's like, okay, I'm here. Like, it's it's a very weird scenario. Yeah, um, I think one of the areas where I think this could be decided, in my opinion, is. I think it's given. I think Colby is going to take Leon down at some point during this fight. Mm-hmm. And one of the things Leon showed in the Usman fight, the third one, was his ability to deal with the takedowns. Because, like, Usman would sort of, like, press him up against the fence, but Leon would just scramble to his feet and just power out. He did this thing as well where he saw, like, reaching over to one side to sort of, like, take away... It was almost sort of like a Kimura grip and just eventually mm-hmm. power out of it and then Usman had to keep standing with him. Yeah, he kind of soccer robbed him a little bit. Yes. Yeah. That's a big concern for me, though, in regards to Colby, because I think Leon could get away with doing that against Usman, because Usman doesn't have that sort of back take and that submission game. We have seen Colby take people's back and go for rear naked chokes. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I could see... How many times did Usman even do that is, like, the thing... Like, Usman got him to the fence and really almost had him maybe a handful of times. Whereas I fear Colby doing that the entire fight. Like, I kind of think of, um, if I remember right, I think it's RDA Colby Cummington where I think Colby got like two takedowns, but he just pressed him against that cage, Holly homed him, shot a double leg, Holly homed him, shot a double, couldn't get it, Holly homed him. Just on repeat to the point where it's like, dude, yeah, like, how, how do you not give it to Colby even though nothing really happened? Um, I kind of fear that. Uh, I'm hoping Leon is prepared for that kind of style. I actually, I would love it if Leon just, you know, started bringing down the side. The Travis Brown elbows. Yeah, those, yeah, I would actually kind of like that, admittingly. Um, or what do you think uh, happens if Leon takes Colby down? It's possible. I mean, he took Usman down. Yeah, and he's not a he's not a bad grappler himself. And I don't and I can't see Colby being in that position a lot where he's on his back having to defend against someone on top of him. I think that is an interesting wrinkle. That's um, interesting. I think it's going to be one of those fights, you know. I think we're going to get a lot of strange scorecards in this one. I think it's that kind of fight. Because I can see situations where Colby's like pressing Leon up against the fence but not really doing anything with it. And Leon maybe landing some big punches that maybe steal him the round. It's one of those kind of fights. I think it's going to be... It's a lot more competitive than people think. I think a lot of people are looking at Colby's age and inactivity and thinking Leon's going to blow him through. Colby Covington has a very realistic avenue to winning this fight, in my opinion. And mm. even though I'm not big on the guy, I am picking Colby to win this one. Wow. I I think this is what I hate about this fight. Colby absolutely doesn't deserve to be here. And I think he can make a fight with any guy at this level competitive. Yes. And I hate it. I hate it. I think he'd have a competitive fight against Bilal. I think... He'd have a competitive fight against Shavkat before getting finished. Wow. Gotta do it. 
it's that's my that's my Gary Streisdom. Like, wow. Um, uh, and and I think he. I think he has a very competitive fight with Leon. I think Leon wins a close decision. Uh, or I also wonder if the inactivity and the age, and I don't know if did Masvidal in that in that like when he when Masvidal jumped him, I know he knocked the tooth out. Did he put him out? I, I don't, don't know, think like, so. If if Masvidal put him out. Then, you know, it kind of makes you go, okay, well, maybe it's going to, once you get KO'd once, it's easier every time. Maybe Leon can do it. And here's one final point that I'll make before we start wrapping things up. If Colby was to win, here's one of the big concerns I have about a Colby win. We've seen with this two-year gap that Colby is willing to sit and wait to get the fights he wants. Mm-hmm. He has no issue with sort of being inactive and sort of holding up a weight class. Can you really see him fighting Bilal or Shafkat in five months' time, six months' time? No. Uh, I guarantee I mean, he will call out Markachev or Poirier. I guarantee. Yeah. I think he wants, he wants Poirier. He's going to want the money fights. He's going to... That's what his persona wants. This is how I know it's a persona, by the way. He has the best entrance team ever. Kurt Angle. That's how you know it's a persona. That's such a it's a very on the nose thing to do. Yeah. yeah, but I think I think he's his obviously he does he wants money. You know, USC pays him fifteen bucks a fight, and you know I don't quite blame him when you're that late in your career wanting money fights. But if he's champion and and dodges Bilal or Shotcott, oh my god, we are going to put him on the list of in part two of the worst UFC champions ever. Nico Montagna, you have a contender. Like, oh man. Oh man, oh man. So that is all the time that we have here for the UFC 296 preview show. It's been an absolute blush to talk about the entire card with you, Joe, as ever. Always, yeah. a, always a pleasure. And if you would like to support us on the channel, then you can do so at patreon.com forward slash it's not cage fighting. There, in return for your donation, we will also cover a retro review of your choice. Uh, we are in December, so it's our last one before the end of the year. We still have a couple of Brucey bonuses coming up, but we do have one which has a loose connection to UFC 296. Joe, explain uh, what we're covering, what category, and which card we're doing. So for uh, 296, we decided to go with classic flyweight fights. And who's more classic than Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson? So I got to cover uh, a fight card that I did not expect to win, and was I? And I had good memories of, but I wasn't quite sure. And I was so pleasantly surprised at how good this card was. Uh, UFC on Fox, I think it's six, but it's Mighty Mouse and John Dodson. A fantastic fight, and also as well the other card as well. Pretty stuck for a fight card, fight night. Let's just say we finally get to see what's on this side of the wall, and it's glorious. Yes. Uh, and oh. I was pleasantly surprised to see that one, because I fully expected 178 to win. Yeah, me too. I was like, wait, really? Okay. You know, I think that undercard's better, maybe. And I watched it, I was like, oh yeah, this is way better than I remember it being. So, UFC 296 will be just around the corner. We hope you've enjoyed this preview show. My name has been Carl Bainbridge. That's been Joe Nail. 
We want to wish you a very Merry Christmas here from INC Live, and we will be back in 2024 for the first pay-per-view of the year. Now, talk, counting down to the most eagerly anticipated UFC title fight of all time, Raquel Pennington versus Myra Bueno Silva. You think you're a special? You do.